Well, welcome everyone. I want to welcome, uh, especially want to welcome you if you're visiting us. Great to have Elton here from Maputo. Amen. He's going to, um, yeah. he's going to uh, lead us in the communion thoughts. I'll say a little bit more about him just before the time. It's also wonderful to have a Kobomo yeah, uh, all the way from heaven, right? Via Bazi's womb. Um, so when she wakes up, please tell her we welcomed her. Okay. Awesome. It's great to have you all here. You know, in preparing this lesson, I was reminded of a story. Do you like hearing my stories? They're boring. I know she does. Good. Lots of stories, man. When you're 64 years old, you have lots of stories. I remember when I was at school, I was, I think, in grade 10 or so, and I was at Alex. Um, you guys know Alex well, right? Daughters went there too. I was, I guess, an achiever at school, you know, academically and on the sports field. But for a while, I went through a really rocky patch. For some reason, I just became very rebellious. Maybe I was listening to Pink Floyd Hole in the Wall too much. But whatever it was, man, you know, we don't need no education. You know that one. Anyway, maybe I listened to that too much, but it just, something happened in my mind, my head, and I just started rebelling. I didn't accept authority easily. And I remember one of the teachers who really was also my cricket coach. He pulled me aside and said, hey, Neil, what's going on? I don't know what was going on. Um, and one day in particular, I upset our, our woodwork teacher a lot. Now, I don't know what the image is you have of a woodwork teacher, but he was a, he was a big guy, Mr. Snayman. And you didn't mess with him, but I just showed him really, you know, no respect in the class. And he dragged me to the headmaster's office by my ear. <laughs> Can I have a volunteer, please? I want to show how you drag somebody down. Okay, you, we won't do that today. Amen. All right, you get the picture there. Hey? And he literally dragged me by my ear. He took me to the headmaster's office. True story. His name was Mr. Cordingly. Okay, and his initials were W-A. W-A-C-O-R, Wacker. Okay, he had the nickname Wacker. It was, and it was, it was a very appropriate and apt nickname. Because he had a reputation for really using that cane very, very well. Okay, he was skilled in caning young boys. So um, I was dragged into his office by my ear. I don't have too many memories of the past, but this I remember very well. I remember where I was sitting, I remember where the office was, and I remember where Mr. Snayman was standing behind me with his big barrel chest, and he wanted to witness this punishment that was going to be meted out. So Mr. Accordingly, Wacker, um, had a certain ritual he went through. And he was kind to me, but he definitely drew out the experience for me to really make it uncomfortable. And in the corner, he had three canes, okay? So he'd go to the corner, and and he'd sort of flex it. (laughs) No, not this one. And he'd take another one, you know? So this was all part of the, the lesson I needed to learn. And then he made me, asked me to put my hands on his table, bend over and he gave me four lashes. It wasn't six of the best, it was four of the best. And that experience was so good for me. Oh my goodness, it's exactly what I needed. Now I'm not at all condoning, you know, that kind of um, capital punishment. I know it's been abused in the past, etc., etc. But the way Mr. Cordingly Wacker um, executed this or carried it out, it actually was healthy for me. I walked out of that door respecting him with a healthy fear, a healthy fear that I didn't have before. And it 
you know, suddenly I started and I, I honored the teachers again. I showed them respect and I was kind of back on track. Okay, so I'm grateful for having fear instilled in me. It's a healthy fear that I actually, that I actually needed. So that kind of introduces where we're at in our series and where we're going today. And we are in a series, we're going through the book of Malachi, and the title of the series is Return to Me. Now just a bit of background, you've heard this a couple of times, but this book was written to God's people about a hundred years after they returned from exile in Babylon. They arrived not as one group, but in small groups. But eventually there was a remnant of Israel back in the promised land, back in Judah, including Jerusalem. And they rebuilt the temple, and they rebuilt the the walls of Jerusalem, because the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, And initially they were fired up. You know, they were grateful to God, they were obedient to God, they followed the law. But over time... They started to drift and compromised. And we, we read how they even question God's love for them. And the book of Malachi has six what we call disputes, if you read it. You know, God tells them something and they pretty much argue with God. They dispute what God says. They say, no, no, God, that's not what it's like. Imagine getting to that point, eh? Of you actually don't just listen to God. That you kind of argue with Him and, hey, let's debate that God... So they got to a point where they really weren't in a great place. They drifted from God, um, apart from the fact that they even questioned God's love for them because they didn't remember you know, the wonderful things that God had done. They started offering God sacrifices that weren't accepted to them. You know, their worship practices didn't have reverence for God. They didn't respect God. And God wasn't happy with them. So the first lesson two weeks ago was about remembering his love. And the title, Return to God, comes from Malachi 3, verse 7, where God says, Return to me, and I will return to you. And we looked at this word, return. Remember, it was a Hebrew word you guys taught? What's the Hebrew word for return? Shuv. Okay. It can mean two things. It can mean to turn back to God. In other words, repent. But it can also mean to restore in relationship. So when, so when we read, you know, God says, you know, shove to me and I will shove to you. He's saying, you repent and I will restore and refresh you. And we are pulling out lessons, you know, that we learned from the people back then to apply to us. You know, when we drift from God, when our faith drops, when we don't enjoy the close relationship with God we enjoyed one day. You know, what can we do to return to God and be restored you know, in our faith and in our intimate relationship with God? So the first lesson God tells Israel back then and tells us is to remember his love. We must always be motivated by the love of God. No other motivation will keep us faithful and growing in Christ but the love of God. And then last week I spoke about giving our best. Right? Israel back then wasn't giving their best. They were giving their blemished animals for sacrifice. They were giving their leftovers to God. All right? So we should never compromise our financial offerings, certainly, but also our service, that we give our best to God. We give our best time. We give, give our best energy. We give our best skills and talents. We give our best mind space to God. Okay, God is not happy with anything but our best. If we want to get close to God again, we need to give our best. 
not our second best and our leftovers. And today, I'm going to speak about fearing God, right? When we return to God, then God says, go back to fearing me. Now, you know, most of us, when we see this up there and we know that the preacher is going to speak about this topic, how do we feel? Mm, we feel, oh, right, maybe a bit uncomfortable, you know, what's this going to come across like? And we can start even questioning, and I've, I've done this and I've heard people question, does God really expect us to fear him? I mean, God's a loving God, right? Where does this fit in? What does God mean? Over and over in the Bible, it's mentioned about 400 times, by the way, God says, fear me. Okay, so it's in the Bible and he specifically tells the people in the time of Malachi, Malachi to, to fear him. So there are four places in Malachi where God speaks about the need to, to fear him. And I'm going to read through them quickly. In Malachi 1 verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is the fear of me? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? That's part of the argument, argumentation and the attitude that they had towards God. Really just questioning God's view on things. All right. And then in Malachi 2 verse 5. My covenant with him, he's speaking here of Levi. Okay, the tribe from which the priests came. My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Now, he had a specific issue with, with the priests who, were, who weren't leading the people well. But as I said last week, remember, under the new covenant, we are all a holy priesthood. We are all priests in Christ. Okay, So this isn't just speaking to the priests or the church leaders, right? It's, it's a reference to all of us now. Malachi 3 verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who f- swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, that's the, uh, the, the, the foreigner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi 4 verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So that Malachi 3, there God is calling out his people for not doing justice, for not living out justice the way God's people were meant to. Okay, and we will get to that in a, in a week or two. We're going to speak about the importance of working for justice. Um, as part of our returning to God and being blessed and restored by Him. And it ends with a promise. You know, God, as always, gives them hope and He speaks of a future time. And He says, there are going to be people amongst you who do fear me, right? And you can look forward to great blessings. Okay, so th- those are the four times in Malachi. Interestingly, you know, in each chapter, the way the chapters are sort of demarcated, where we read about fearing God. I want to start, though, with a lesson covering a few frequently asked questions about fear. Now, these are questions that I have asked in the past and which I've heard other people ask. Okay, And there are four of them. I'm going to go through that, and then we're going to dig into the, the topic um, in a bit more detail. So first frequently asked question I hear and I have asked is, is fear a good or a bad emotion? Anyone? 
What do you think? Is fear good or bad? Okay. Can be good? I was going to say it depends. It depends, yeah, yeah. It depends. Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. Is, is fear a good or a bad emotion? Yes. Fear can be healthy. You know, fear is programmed into our nervous systems. It gives us survival instincts when we need to keep ourselves from, from danger. You know, as I've got older, I have developed, I think, a healthy fear of heights. Um, when I go hiking, save Nolina and I go hiking, and we're on the high mountain, and there's a sheer cliff on one side. I don't go near that cliff. It freaks me out. I do go reasonably close to the cliff, but then I'm, I'm on all fours. Eh? I, and I just freak out when I look over the cliff. I was never like that. And I think God's just protecting me. Hey, Neil, as you're getting old, you're getting a bit wobbly. You know, rather stay away from the head. I don't know. But I, Nolene, on the other hand, has no fear for heights. Please, disciple whoever will speak to her next. Okay? She will walk right on the edge. And, oh, hello, you know, like 500 meter drop. And I'm, of course, crawling around. So, okay, so that's a healthy fear, I believe, okay? That's the way it is. Don't tell me it's, there's anything wrong with that, right? You've got a fear thing. I, there's no ways I will go bungee jumping. Who in their life, I mean, who in their right mind jumps off a high bridge? Maybe Chris does. Okay. Or a few of you do. Hey, no ways, no ways do I do that, right? To trust my life on a little rubber string. No. So I, I do not like hearts, and I think it's a healthy fear of hearts. Okay, it's not like bad or good, I guess, but it keeps me away from what I see as as danger. Um, but some kinds of fear are not healthy. Fearing people is not healthy. We should not fear men, but we are to fear God. You know, Jesus Himself said in Matthew ten verse twenty eight, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy." both body and soul, in hell. And author Oswald Chambers said this. He said, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear no one else or nothing else, and nothing else. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Okay? Think about that. Now, so godly fear is a healthy fear. And not only that, but fearing God, it's part and parcel of being in right relationship with Him, as we, as we will see today. Okay, so that's the first frequently asked question. Secondly, what does it mean to fear God? You know, we hear this and we're influenced by maybe our upbringing, maybe we're influenced by our relationship with our, our father or our, or our parents or a figure of authority, and we get the wrong idea of what it means to fear God. Fear, as used in the Bible, means deep reverence for authority accompanied by obedience. It's a feeling of profound respect mingled with awe and affection. When you fear God, you honor Him, you express your gratitude to Him, and you obey His commands. Um, we can unpack this a little bit with this, this quote from John Yates II. He says, the fear of God means to be in absolute awe of God. It is to be intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically overwhelmed by the holiness, the power, the purity, the righteousness, the justice, the greatness, and the glory of God. 
To fear God is to have reverence for God. It is to fall down on one's face before God in honor, adoration, worship, and obedience. Okay, that's what it means to, to fear God. But I'm pretty sure some of you have thought this, like I did, and maybe you are thinking this even at the moment. Can we fear and love God at the same time? Don't they kind of contradict each other? Well, we, we can. Um, fearing God in the right way and loving God go, go hand in hand. I, I will share these slides afterwards. See, I'm using slides today because there are quite a lot of scriptures just to save time. And you can always look at them afterwards as well. Your, the love, love and fear of God go, go hand in hand. This is what we read in Psalm 142. His pleasure, this is God's pleasure, is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Okay, fear and love, you know, go, go hand in hand. When we fear God, we love God. When we love God, we fear God. You know, but then you might ask, don't we read in the Bible somewhere that perfect love drives out fear? That's in 1 John chapter 4. But if you read the context there, the context is fear of God's judgment. And who or what is perfect love in the Bible, especially in the letters of John? God is love. His whole point is that God is love. So the perfect love of God drives out fear. But the fear, in context, the fear is the fear of judgment. He says we do not need to fear standing before God one day in judgment, right? If you are in a covenant, a love covenant relationship with God, if you have experienced God's love as demonstrated by Jesus on the cross, if you have experienced his love and if you and if you're undertaking to love him in return with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, if you have this love relationship with God, you're good. You don't have to fear judgment. Okay, so that's the context of it. It's not a general statement. You know that fear and love don't go sort of hand in hand. Make sense? All right. And then um, my fourth and last frequently asked question that I've asked myself as well is, what about fear and faith? Now, don't fear and faith contradict each other? You know, but once again, yes and no. If we have genuine faith in God, we will not fear people. Um, we will not fear rejection. We will not fear looking stupid in front of people. We will not fear failure. We will not feel discomfort. And we will not even fear poverty and the future. If we have genuine faith in God that he will take care of all those things, we won't or we need not Fear. Worldly fear and faith don't go together. What are, the examples I've used are what I call worldly fear. Worldly fear and faith don't go together, but godly fear and faith do. During our, our midweeks on Wednesdays, we're going through the book of, of Hebrews, and we have just started chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 is an amazing list of um, heroes of the faith. You know, starting with Abraham, who is the father of faith. Far more verses and words are allocated to describing Abraham's faith. But then a whole lot of other individuals and groups of people like the prophets are listed. And let's look at two of the heroes of the faith. Abraham and Noah. We read this in 
Genesis 22. Okay, so what Abraham has done, you probably know the story, he's taken his son Isaac, who's the son of promise, you know, through whom God's going to bless all the nations and produce this amazing family, all, all races and nations as numerous as the stars. Okay, and the G, uh, God says to him, take, take, a, take Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Abraham, we know, faithfully does it and even gets to the point where Isaac is on the altar, right, on the wood. And Abraham is about to stab him. His knife is above him to stab him and then set the fire, set him alight. And Abraham is willing to do that. But then God intervenes at the last moment and says, do not, speaking through an angel, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham, the father of faith, feared God. So the two don't go against each other. Okay? Abraham had a godly fear to obey God. And then Noah, um, Noah, you know, took a long, long time, I can't remember, a long hundred years or so, to build an ark. God said, you know, build this ark, I'm going to bring destruction to the world, a great flood's going to come. And Noah, in faith, built this massive boat in the middle of the desert. And all the neighbors thought he was crazy. Um, but he faithfully built the ark. Okay, he's a man of great faith. I'm not sure I would have done that. So we read here in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Okay, hero of the faith. But in holy fear, in godly fear, in a deep desire to, to please God, because he was in awe of God's you know, power and might and wisdom. In holy fear, he built the ark. So fear and faith, godly fear and faith, do go together. Just to, just to summarize these points, um, I hope it kind of helps clear up and, or at least encourages you to study this out a bit more. Just to summarize, fear is healthy if it protects us from danger, but fearing people is unhealthy. When we fear God, we need not fear anything else or anyone else because we're under his protection. Secondly, to fear God is to have a deep reverence and respect for him accompanied by obedience. That's the definition. Thirdly, fearing God in this way is not at odds with God's love. Fear of God and love of God go hand in hand. And then finally, fearing God is also not at odds with living by faith, but fearing people is. Okay, so it's a lot there, but you might want to just reflect on that and study it out um, a bit more in your own time. But let's get back to Malachi. As I said up front, God's people in that time, 100 years after returning, or after God brought them back to Jerusalem, they had lost their fear of him. They weren't honoring him with their sacrifices. Um, they questioned their, you know, his love for them. Um, they were not treating him with reverence and respect. They were not in awe of him. They were not obeying him. Why? Because they had lost their fear of him. And they had drifted away. And this principle applies to, to you and me as well. Now when we lose our reverence for God, our healthy fear of him, you know, we stop showing him the honor and obedience he deserves. Um, when we stop 
fearing God, we are on a a slippery slope and we will slowly slide away. But as God promises, you know, return to me and I will return to you. When we repent and we, and we start fearing God again, showing him the, you know, the reverence and honor that he deserves, he accepts us and he restores us. Amen? Now, I've been focusing mainly on Old Testament scriptures. That's because the Old Testament does speak a lot about fearing God, but the New Testament does as well. And I'm just going to give you a, a small sample here. We're just going to look at two passages in, um, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1 verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And, you know, in reading this, I realized for the first time that it's kind of interesting that in one sentence, God is referred to as father and judge in the same sentence. We normally wouldn't put those two together, would we? God's a loving father and judge. We are to fear him even as our loving father. Fear and love go together, as I said earlier on. Now, we know that a loving father disciplines his children for their benefit, right? We read about that in in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Now, just like my headmaster, Wacker, disciplined me because I didn't have a healthy respect for authority. I didn't have a healthy fear for authority. Um, God will discipline us if we do not have a reverent fear for him. And he does it for our own good, you know, that we learn from it. And he does it because he loves us. You know, it's not at odds with him being a loving father. It's because he's a loving father that he'll discipline us and reinstill in us a reverent, healthy fear for him. He knows us for our own good. And then in First Peter 2 verse 17, we read, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now you can do a word study on these if you want. You know, respect, love, fear. And honor. But I just want to point out a couple of you know, basic, basic things here. Um, you'll notice that he only says, fear God. Don't fear the emperor, but honor the emperor. And the difference between respect and honor is that we are called to respect everybody, regardless of their status or position of authority. But if people have authority, like the emperor, like our government, right? Like your lecturer, okay? Like your parents, okay? They, God has given them authority. We are called to honor them. The, the special authority that God has, Peter says, fear God. Because his authority is different to any other authority, right? God is the only one we need to fear. Don't fear people. Don't fear government or the rulers. Don't fear the emperor. Fear God. And of course, love the family of believers. Remember that you're a community of love. You're in love covenant with me. Love and fear, you know, don't, don't contradict each other. Um, but let's make it practical. How many, of you, how many of you would like to grow in your fear of God? If you've arrived there, please come and talk to me. I'd love to learn from you, right? Um, I would love to understand 
the fear of God better and to live it out better than I do. So I'm going to suggest just four ways we can do that. I don't have slides for this. First, I think practical is to ask God to put the fear of him in your hearts. Pray. Pray that God will help you to fear him. In Jeremiah 32 from verse 38 to 40, we we read this. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after me. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You know, we can pray for anything, but the Bible promises us that whatever we pray in the name of Jesus, whatever we pray according to the will of God, he will answer. I think you'd agree with me that God wants us to fear him. Hmm? I mean, he wants to have kind of relationship with him. So these are the kind of prayers I think we should pray. You know, this is according to the nature, in the name of Jesus, it's according to the nature of Jesus. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus lived in reverent awe and fear, the healthy fear of God. Um, You know, how about adding this prayer to your prayer list? Keep praying for our church. Keep praying for people in need. Keep praying for peace in the Middle East and other areas. Keep praying for strength to deal with difficult situations. Um, Keep praying for God's safety and provision. God wants wants to protect us. Keep praying that God will bring healing to those who are sick etc etc but how about also praying that God will put a fear of him in your heart to help you stay faithful or help bring you back okay into a close relationship with him okay so first point ask God to put the fear of him in your hearts and then reflect on difficult passages in the Bible that we don't really like to read about there are a lot of them hey where you read this and man is this God rather not go there you know, but we know that every you know, scripture is, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful you know, for, for teaching us and correcting us and rebuking us and training us in righteousness so that we'll be fully equipped. Okay, so all scripture, including those uncomfortable ones. Let me share, share two uncomfortable ones with you that I have um, struggled with at times. In Second Samuel 6, I'm going I'm to par- paraphrase this, but... Um, Shortly before this, David has been made king and he has moved to Jerusalem, okay, which was kind of the, the capital city. And after a short while, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It was somewhere in the Bundes there, somewhere in Judah. I can't remember where. So he sent a group of men to collect the Ark. And they put the Ark on a cart that was then pulled to Jerusalem. Now, the men who would have picked up the ark and put it on the cart would have been Levites. God made it very clear in his law that the Levites were set apart for that sort of thing, you know, for temple stuff and touching the ark. But then coming back, he had a few men on either side of the cart just, I don't know, maybe protecting it. And we read about a, a guy called Uzzah. Now, I feel for Uzzah, and I really do. It seems like he, he meant well. But a time came when the, you know, the oxen stumbled and he was concerned that the ark would fall and he, he put his hand out and he, and he touched the ark. Okay, how did God respond? Yeah, I'm quoting here from verse seven, second, uh, Samuel 6 verse 7. 
The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore he struck him down and he died next to the ark of God. Wow. I mean, how do you meditate on that? Like, you know, is there more to the story? Read the context. We don't hear anything else about Uzzah. Um, but God had made it clear to them for 500 years. He taught them over and over again. My things are holy. You've got to be cleansed. You've got to be pure. You've got to be from the, you know, from the tribe of Levi to touch the most holy thing. You know, the ark was associated with, with the presence of God. Okay, so how do you respond to that? Is that kind of a story that we want to skip over? Let me rather speak about God's love and forgiveness. And it's in the Bible. No, but that's an Old Testament. That explains it, right? Well, let's read in, we read in Acts 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, New Testament. And how both were struck down because they lied about their pledges and their contributions. And I'm not going to make it into a financial you know, request at all. But man, they promised, right? Willingly, they were, they promised, you know, to sell their property and to put, lay the money at the feet of the apostles. But they kept some for themselves, but they kind of gave the impression that this was all of their money. And they were both struck down because they, they lied. Now God killed them. And in the very next verse, we read that great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events. What was the point God was trying to make? Meditate on that. See what God tells you. How does it apply to us? Does it apply to us? Certainly it was an important time for the church when you know, they needed to be a good example. This was you know, the, the kingdom of God being established through the church. Um, these were disciples of Jesus. Right, And they needed to be ambassadors of Jesus. They needed to be a light of, of hope and purity and honesty to the world. So maybe it was just a unique event. We don't read about that you know, anywhere else in the Bible. But I, I think it does tell us that you know, God is serious. When we do not treat him with reverent awe, when we do not have a healthy fear for him, you know, God is still, the God of the New Testament is the God of, of the Old Testament. Third tip to grow in your fear of God. Let creation teach you about the fear of God. You think, got that right, Neil? I mean, I love walking out in nature and it tells me a lot about God's beauty, you know, God's power, his creativity. I love being in nature. Um, you know, I read Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You know, I love being out in nature, as I say. I love meditating on, on God through nature. I, I savor and, and soak in the, the greatness of God. I look at our stars and I realize that our, little, our galaxy is a tiny little galaxy. It's like a speck of sand on King's Beach. In fact, it's like a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert. It's crazy how big God's universe is. We think our suns are awesome. It's awesome. It's one of the smallest of billions and billions of suns. I think, I can't remember, but the biggest sun can accommodate about 10,000 of our suns. Okay, and, and I look at it, and you look at all the beauty, the, the, 
the variety of birds and how God designs and creates things so beautifully. It's awesome. It tells me about God. But it does it tell you about his other qualities, his invisible qualities. God's seriousness about sin, God's desire for us to, to treat him with reverence and awe. How do you see that in creation? I'm trying to see that as well in creation. I just think how amazing and powerful God is. And I'm so small. I'm not saying I'm unimportant, but I'm so small in the bigger picture, you know, compared to God. And does that bring me to my knees, you know, to worship Him and to praise Him in reverent awe, in healthy fear? So when you're out in nature next, think about how can what I see and the beauty around me, what does it teach me about and how can it help me to, to fear God? That invisible quality of, of His. And then fourthly, last point, practice reverence for God in our church services and meetings of the body. Now we, we covered last week that you know our sacrifices are not like they were in the Old Testament. We don't have to to bring animals to be sacrificed. Romans 12 verse 1 tells, you know, God tells us that we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's pleasing and acceptable to God. Okay? And we also know that worship is not just singing, right? Worship is, it's a, it's a lifestyle. You know, we, we worship God with, God with, with our lives, that every decision we make. But there is something special about when we come together like this. And I just want to say, I was so encouraged when I walked in this morning. It was awesome um, to see you all. Um, and I know that there are few families who are not here, but they have good reason to not be here. Maybe one or two students are studying. But there's such a, an amazing buzz. And you know, my heart was warm this morning. And to see us sing the way we did, the way we supported the song leaders. Only they experienced it, but I said, and I thought it was awesome, right? We practice our reverent fear of God. We are prostrate before God, at least in the posture of our hearts, when we worship him like this. And by the way, if you want to kneel down, amen. If you want to raise your, your hands and pray, amen. Nothing wrong with that. But I think that must at least be the posture of our hearts. That when we come here and we sing and we listen to you know, the word being preached, even tough lessons like today again, right? You know, when we fellowship, it's all about showing reverence for God because He is worthy of honor and He is worthy of our reverent fear. This is where we practice. You know, our worship services yeah, mustn't become so user-friendly and seeker-friendly and so casual that we lose all sense of reverence and awe of our almighty God. So come to meetings of the body, you know, ready to worship God in a Romans 12 kind of way. You know, this is practicing and when, when we leave here, it should help prepare us to live the rest of the week as a living sacrifice because we have been fed and nourished and we've experienced Sunday service. Make sense? Um, I want to end very quickly, and I'm, I'm going to share the PowerPoint. I know I'm going long, so I'm not going to go into these, but why fear God? And I want to end, and I don't always feel I've got to end positively, but hey amen. You know, God typically says, look to the future, and you know, remember the great blessings that come from 
obeying him and laying down our lives for him. Uh, think of the blessings in the present and in the future. There are good reasons to obey God. And I'm going to share seven of them with you. I'm not going to go into all of these, these scriptures. Seven good reasons to fear God. It keeps us from sinning. Um, fearing God helps keep us from sinning. I will explain this one quickly. Moses has just come down from the mountain and uh, you know he's been given the commandments of God. There's thunder and lightning and smoke and really loud and the earth is shaking and the people are actually quite fearful. And then Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. Meditate on that one. How does that work, do you think? I'm not going to explain it, okay? but these are great passages to meditate on. The fear of the Lord keeps us from sinning. All I know is if we look at Malachi, the fear of the Lord that they didn't have didn't stop them from sinning. You know, they just became more and more disobedient and questioning God and arrogant, etc. Right? Fear of God and living righteously, um, overcoming temptation and sin are closely linked. We are told in Psalm 34 verse 9, uh, that if we fear God, we will lack nothing. What does that look like? What is the psalmist speaking about? That God will take care of us. We will lack nothing if we fear God. We fear God to get wisdom and, and the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How do you think that works? That's a good one to meditate on, right? How is the fear of God the beginning of wisdom? What is wisdom? Little hint, wisdom in the Bible is making good decisions, being discerning and making the best decision for a particular circumstance. Okay, Linked to knowing God's word. Number four, to enjoy abundant life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person, turning a person from the snares of death. Okay. Fearing God brings life and life to the full, that abundant life. It's a reference to the life in the age to come, I believe. But it's also now. We can live life to the full now if we have a reverent fear of God, resulting in obedience and living in a way that pleases Him. Number five, to make God delight in us. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Isn't that a, a wonderful thought? You know, when we, when we fear God, He delights in us. Don't we want our parents to delight in us? Don't we want our Father in Heaven to delight in us? Fear Him. To avoid evil, point six. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Similar to being able to withstand sin. We avoid evil through the fear of God. I think you would agree with me that if you look at the world and the, you know, the leaders and governments we have, they don't seem to fear God at all. All right? And I pray, I pray for our leaders and leaders around the world that they will have a fear of God. <laughs> and they will have a healthy fear of judgment one day unless they repent and they get back to serving people and not themselves. Okay, so if, imagine how much evil in the world would be prevented if, if all of our leaders, business and you know, government leaders, feared God. And then finally, to receive salvation, it's linked to our salvation, fearing God. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I've spoken about wisdom and understanding in that earlier point, point three, so I'm just, I want to highlight here, it's also to receive salvation. 
Our fear of the God brings brings salvation. Um, you know, so getting back to um, Wacker, just accordingly, I, I learned to greatly respect him. I did not avoid him after the discipline. And I, I thank God that, I think God was even working through that, you know, kind of preparing me as a youngster, you know, let me just sort Neil out quickly before he goes completely off the rails. Um, I respected him, I greeted him. I don't think I ever went up to him and say thank you. Didn't quite get there. Um, I must tell you, it's, it was painful, eh? Hey? I mean, when you've got four wax on your bum, I think some of the gents here can nod. Um, now, even walking was so painful. Oh! It was like short steps. And I remember coming into the class, and um, you know, everyone was sort of giggled. They knew what happened to me. But, and I tried to look all cool, but it's hard to look cool when you are so sore. And you know, you had those desks, and you still had them. And actually, that day, it was so good for my quads. But I looked like I was sitting, but there was like a, a cushion of air under my bum. You know, and, you know, I can laugh about it now because I know it was good for me. Um, I respected him more than ever. And here's the thing. I was not frightened of him. There's a difference between fearing God and being frightened of God. We're not meant to be frightened of God. I wasn't frightened of my teacher or my headmaster after that because it was good for me. But I had a healthy fear of those canes in his office. I didn't want to see that again. It helped me to change and to have a healthier respect for authority. And now the question I ask us is, do you, do we have a healthy fear for God, for the God who loves you more than you can ever imagine? Don't separate the two. Do you have a fear? Do you have a healthy fear for the God who loves you more than you can imagine, who has your best interests at heart. Do you honor him and revere him and obey him? Do you hold him in awe and wonder? Do you obey him out of both do you obey him out of both fear and love? The two go together. And if you have drifted from God, if you don't experience his love as you once did, um, if your faith has dropped if you have compromised in giving to God and God's people, is it perhaps because you have lost your fear of him? I want to conclude with this extract of a poem by F.W. Faber. He's speaking about God. They love you little, if at all, who do not fear you much. If love is your attraction, Lord, fear is your touch. I'll share that. I'll read it one more time. Okay, and I know sort of English and stuff. I actually took the Shakespearean English. They were these and whatever. Uh, straight English. They love you, Lord Little, who do not fear you much. Okay? In other words, if we say we love God but do not fear him, he's saying you actually don't love him much. Okay? They love you little, if at all, who do not fear you much. If love is your attraction, Lord, Fear is your touch. What he's saying there is that we can't say we love God if we do not fear him. Love is his attraction. In other words, God's love attracts us to him. But fear brings us close to him. Love and fear together create the intimacy, the touch of God that he desires for us. Make sense? Love will get us close, but fear will get us closer. Love and fear enable our return and restoration. Return to me and I'll return to you, says God. Now repent 
And part of the repentance is telling God's people, and maybe it wasn't all of them, and I'm not saying it's all of us, but I do believe that uh, some of us here have lost our reverent fear of God. And God is saying, return to me, fear me, and I will return to you. I'll refresh you and I will restore you in this intimate relationship. Love and fear me. Amen. Thank you, church.